According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, uh, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That uh, quote from Second Peter is uh, edited somewhat, uh, abbreviated somewhat, because uh, Peter takes a side trip. Because when he says, uh, be found by him uh, in peace, spotless and blameless, he goes on to say, um, and regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you, as also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which the untaught and the unstable distort, as they do also the rest of scriptures to their own destruction. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard, so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So that is the entirety of our opening call to worship. We're here to uh, present ourselves approved to study. So let's take a moment for silent prayer and make sure we're in fellowship, humble before the authority of God's word. Shall we pray? Almighty Father, we thank you this morning for the privilege and blessing that it is to assemble together. And Father, I just want to thank you also for the uh, pastors and churches that we prayed for uh, this morning across this country and just for the privilege it is to be able to come alongside and lift them up and uh, support them and strengthen them. Father, we thank you that uh, our nation still enjoys the freedom to assemble and that there are faithful men studying and teaching the Word of God. And we appreciate the... Uh, websites we were able to browse, the lessons we were able to observe, and the the uh, faithfulness that we could see with these men that are uh, digging it up and dishing it out on a, on a consistent basis, Father. It's such a privilege. I thank you for that. I thank you for this ministry and the privilege we have to assemble together for one more session to take in the truth of your word, and we ask for your blessing upon our time of study. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. All right, Luke chapter 11 this morning. Luke 11, the accused connection with Bill's above. And we are near the end of this episode, actually. I'll back up. We are in main point four, sub point uh, B, as we're dealing with happiness and blessings. And we've got about 100 million scriptures to look at. We looked at uh, about a third of them last week. And so today is going to be a lot of uh, page flipping and a lot of verse looking and, and things like that to, uh, to see where we are. But reading, before we jump into any of those, though, just to remind ourselves of this episode and what's going on here in Luke chapter 11, they uh, once again are accusing him of casting out demons by the power of Beelzebub, and, and uh, they're demanding a sign as if he hasn't done enough already. You know, what could he do that would satisfy them? <laughs> and um, different applications. And then... Uh, he pronounces woe upon them and, and the uh, different things there that we're going to have coming up, actually, in verses 37 and following. But when we talk about happiness and we talk about the, uh, the blessings uh, of life, you can get confused. You can get sidetracked. You can start to think that uh, your happiness is going to come from your family. Now, there may be happiness in your family, but family is not the source of your happiness. You may experience blessings in your family. 
that family is not the source of your blessings. And hopefully as we go through this, you'll see. Uh, but he's teaching and his woman shouts out at him in verse 27. And uh, she says, blessed or happy, makarios. She says, happy is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. But he said, on the contrary. On the contrary, meaning your statement is factually inaccurate. Change your thinking and your statement of happiness to reflect the reality. Happy are those who hear the word of God and observe it. Happiness in the Christian way of life is generated by believers who are occupied with Christ, abiding in the word of God. And the Makarios happiness is a provision for that way of life. You could have the finest family on earth, very proper, very moral, very respected in the community, very um, affluent, well-to-do in, in, in finances and, and social standing uh, with a wonderful home in a, in a highly rated neighborhood <laughs> without any kind of happiness, without any Makarios happiness or any kind of joy or fruit of the Spirit, any of those earthly things. And then, of course, the corollary or the contrast to that, you could be as poor as six church mice put together and, and uh, in a tiny little house with no running water and no electricity and, and just as full of makarios as the Lord can provide because it comes down to our occupation with Christ and our identification with His Word. Now, the vocabulary we gave a couple weeks ago or last week, um, I'd have to back up, let me see, the um, terms, they are interrelated and inseparable. When we talk about happiness, we're talking about the uh, makarios family. The most common term is makarios as an adjective for happy, but it does have a verb form, makarizo, and it has a noun form, makarismas. That's the family of terms that we're looking at in these passages we're studying. In the Old Testament, the term is asher, or asherah, asher, uh, the Hebrew name asher, one of the sons of of uh, Jacob there, when the wives were in their competition for as many babies as they could have, uh, she said, oh, how happy am I? And she named him Asher. And uh, similar to, they all had, Leah's the only mother that actually had spiritual reasons for the name she was giving. The others were all just uh, like Joseph. Um, give me another one, you know. <laughs> so different things there. All right, those are your happiness terms. Uh, blessing terms include our Eulageo family. The verb eulageo is used 41 times. The uh, noun uh, eulagia and uh, the other noun eulagetas are used uh, 16 and 8 times apiece. So all together there, uh, you've got about 65 places that you can look at for eulageo. And then in the Hebrew, the term is barak. Uh, barak. Not Obama, just barak. B-A-R-A-K the, the, is the verb. The, the noun is baraka. And uh, there's uh, a church somewhere named after Baraka, and uh, the term means blessing. All right. Now, when we look at the passages, rapid survey of happiness and blessing passages, we uh, got through about half of this list. We got through the Psalms that we were looking at, and actually we ran out of time before we got to Psalm 119 and following. So let's just again kind of use these as an opportunity to survey some passages, an opportunity to um, 
remind ourselves what Scripture tells us happiness is all about. Because happiness, uh, it's like love. It's a word that this world has taken hold of and perverted in such sad and tragic ways. And co-workers, friends, neighbors, loved ones, family, people you know are killing themselves trying to be happy. And it's not working. And the happiness they think they're desperate for, they don't even understand that if they attained what they think they want, it's not going to supply the happiness that they truly need. And uh, that becomes pretty clear when you examine the happiness passages of Scripture. B3, would you drop that thermostat a bit and cool us off some? (laughs) Are y'all not freezing to death out there? All right, it's microwave oven up here. All right. Or maybe I'm just getting old, right? I can't handle the heat. All right. Psalm 119. Let's start with that. Psalm 119. How blessed is the man. How happy is the man. How happy is the man. You know, what is it that makes a man happy? What is it that provides for these things. Well, how blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Again, the term is Asherah. Uh, this is in the Aleph file. Every verse in uh, these first eight verses all start with Aleph. And so uh, both uh, verse 1 and verse 2 start with the Asherah of happy. By the way, it's the identical expression that the whole book of Psalms starts with in Psalm 1 with how blessed is the man who uh, does not sit in the seat of the wicked or in the counsel of the ungodly. That's one I know we touched last week. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. That's the theme that we have here as well in Psalm 119. The, this young man, whoever this psalmist was, was so impacted by the Psalms of David. In fact, many people think this was one of David's psalms. I think it was a young man who was saturated with Davidic Scripture. And he was so saturated with Davidic Scripture that it influenced him in the Scripture that he composed through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and the writing of the Word of God. So how blessed, how happy are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. How happy are those who observe His testimonies, who seek Him with all their heart. Notice nowhere in verse 1 and 2 do we have career, Income, social status, family, any of that. Circumstances and details of life are irrelevant to these applications of Makarios happiness or Asherah happiness. And um, that's what we're observing here. All right, and it goes on to uh, the way that they live, which ideally is the way we all want to live through this, uh, this first strophe. Uh, how about back to Psalm 127? Our next happiness passage, our next Asherah passage. One that we want to pay attention to because um, we're told unless the Lord builds the house, the labor in vain who build it. Uh, just substitute the word church. <laughs> All right. Bible church on uh, Cross Park Drive. Well, if the Lord's not doing it, we can't. And we're wrong if we're trying to violate His will. We're wrong if we're trying to depart from what it is He would have for us to do. It goes on uh, and addresses family matters. 
Um, children are a gift from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How happy is the man whose quiver is full of them. Now, this could be part of the thinking behind the woman that shows up in Luke 11 and says, happy is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed and so forth in terms of placing uh, Makarios happiness or Asherah happiness into a family context. Look closer, though, when you observe this. It's not just simply the fact of having children. It's having children in the context of raising them in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Notice also why, why are these children compared to arrows? Seems rather violent. <laughs> Seems rather, why don't you say, you know, like, like, uh, flowers in the, uh, in the hands of a florist. You know, how blessed is the man who's whatever, you know, bouquet is, is abundant. No, it's a military, uh, metaphor. That's a, that's a use here. What do you use arrows for? Why is it that, um, you know, you want your arrows to be at hand. You want them to be ready. You want them to be sharp. And uh, and you're not going to hang on to arrows forever, are you? The last thing in the world you want to do is at the end of a battle uh, end up being dead because your arrows are still in your quiver. Or dead because your bullets are still in your magazine and you have failed to send the uh, ammunition downrange. I mean, ammunition in hand is great, but the purpose is firing it out. And uh, different aspects there. We want to be training up our children uh, in the nurture and admonition of the Lord so that they are sharp. They are uh, straight arrows. They are prepared to fly well. They're prepared to reach their targets. They're prepared to arrive at their intended destination. And all too often, uh, the whole idea that uh, children are for their own sake or for the sake of having them. Goodness. (laughs) You know. Unbelievers can have children. They have them all the time. Sometimes they have them in in great quantities. Um, But not the having, it's the doing. What are you doing with these children? Are you training them up? They're a blessing from the Lord. Uh, Are we redeeming the blessing according to what He's designed it to be? So, uh, anyway, there's application to be made here in a family context. But since this is a, let me underline it, rapid survey... I won't spend the whole hour on Psalm 127. All right, Psalm 128. Next Psalm down. Psalm 128, verses 1 and 2. Happy is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. When you shall eat of the fruit of your hands, you will be happy and it will be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house, your children, so on and so forth. So there's a family context, but where does it start? It starts with fearing the Lord, walking in his ways. That's the context. Don't put it backwards. Don't say, well, wife and children are supposed to make me happy, and then if the home life's okay, then we can go to church, and so forth. That's backwards. And um, I believe it starts with a man. It starts with a husband. It starts with the father. He has to be walking with the Lord. He has to be right with the Lord. He needs to be growing under the teaching ministry of a pastor-teacher. When I've examined different aspects of the will of God for your pastor-teacher. 
I've started to bec- become more and more convinced. Of course, every every believer is gifted. Every believer has a uh, a part in the body that they're designed where they fit uniquely, where they fit to contribute to the needs of the saints and so forth. Um, but it's the man that's accountable. And he must hear the voice of his shepherd. He's the one that has to grow. And in many respects, the woman, why is it that she's told to, if she has questions to ask of her hub, husband at home? See, and to me, when uh, the wife is the one looking for a church, looking for a pastor, trying to learn from a pastor, and the husband's simply tagging along and happy with whatever it is that makes her happy, uh, that's backwards. But when the man is under the authority of the Word of God, being fed by his shepherd, um, <laughs> it's interesting. And I'm ready to say, or almost ready to say, that the woman could listen to any pastor. If she is under her husband's spiritual leadership in the home. That his pastor feeding him is her provision. In any event, I'll keep my studies on that going and see where they where the Lord takes me on that. But here we notice the man fearing the Lord, walking in his ways. Then he's content, eating of the fruit of his hands, happy, uh, well with you, your wife, your children, your house, your table. The, uh, behold, for thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. Now, women, of course, you fear the Lord, too. You walk with the Lord, blah, blah, blah. It's, it applies to you as well. But the primary application here is hitting the men and hitting them hard. All right. Rapid survey continuing. Matthew. All right. That's it for Psalms. Matthew now. Matthew 5. It's interesting when you get to the Gospels. And you're looking at the Jewish people. You're talking about a a nation under foreign occupation. Jewish people and the Jewish nation under the bondage of Rome. And um, circumstances and details of life that ideally you and I will never have to uh, endure. But if we do, do we have the doctrine to handle it? If we find ourselves in our nation and our country under um, foreign domination, how are we going to handle our Christian way of life? When we lose our wealth, we lose our prosperity, we lose our peace, we lose our freedom in this nation. So Matthew chapter 5, Sermon on the Mount context. 5, 6, and 7 in Matthew is all Sermon on the Mount. And what's commonly referred to as the Beatitudes. And every single one of these is not... Eulogetos, blessed, but Makarios, happy. Makarios, happy. And unfortunately, I think this is where we're going to be stuck with blessed are, blessed are, blessed are forever and ever, simply because um, the majesty and heritage of the King James poetry has fixed it in people's minds that it's uh, blessed are the poor in spirit. No, it's happy are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Happy are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Happy are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Every single one of these statements is a makarios statement for your inner happiness. The sole capacity of happiness internally, regardless of what the external circumstances may be. This is the sole capacity for happiness. Internal happiness. And it doesn't matter what's going on outside. Even if you're mourning externally, there is still a portion of your soul that can be happy through the mourning, 
through the grief. Happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. You know, I think uh, I, I pray over this verse so much because uh, it seems to me that a fair number of our visitors that walk in here on a Sunday, just any given Sunday and any random visitors that happen to be passing through, I'm finding more and more that they're looking for a church, they're looking for something, and they don't know. They don't even know what they're looking for, but they're hungry. And this is a passage, I think, that addresses that, hungering and thirsting after righteousness. And there is a a provision of Makarios for that hunger, for that appetite. They shall be satisfied. Happy are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Happy are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Happy are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Happy are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And I wonder if we're going to have these days coming up. You know, a little bit of uh, opposition and conflict and things that we're encountering in the conflicts and things. We can't properly call them persecution. They're nuisance items at the moment. They can grow to persecution down the road if they get emboldened for how uh, freely they can discriminate against Christianity and, and so forth. And then, what I love... Everything in 3 through 10 is all third person. These guys, those guys, these other guys, these guys, these guys. But then in verse 11, it gets personal. Did you notice that? Because it says, happy are you. (laughs) And all of a sudden, it comes into focus. Happy are you. And so in the true technical sense, 3 through 10 are prophetic, that are going to have an application in tribulational and millennial times. But when it switches to blessed are you, then the focus zeroes in on those literal disciples that were hearing the message and the things that they could anticipate in their apostolic ministry. When people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. See, this is what we need to embrace. Because all too often, Bible-believing Christians, even under teaching, fall into a mindset that their happiness is coming from other sources. You know, that they'll be happy with a certain income. They'll be happy with a certain car. They'll be happy with a certain house or a certain piece of property. Or um, they're going to find happiness in something. They need to be reminded that their happiness will come when they're persecuted. Falsely slandered. For the name of Jesus Christ, rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. Reward in heaven is great. You know, if if the cosmos starts attacking you for Christ. What does that indicate? It indicates that you are functioning properly and that you are worthwhile to attack. That you are uh, gaining ground in the angelic conflict. You are accomplishing uh, divine objectives in the plan of God. And the world all of a sudden takes issue with Christ on your behalf. And is not pleased with the gospel message you're faithful to proclaim. Not pleased with the biblical testimony you are uh, portraying. Not pleased with whatever it might be. So when the, when the persecution comes in, the insults, the slander, um, and, and notice it's going to be because of Christ, then you can rejoice that you have um, 
maintained a sufficient witness to produce that. <laughs> and ask the Father to keep it up. Increase it. Give you a greater testimony, a greater uh, witness for the name of Christ. All right. That's too long in that chapter. Rapid survey continuing. Chapter 13. What do we have in Matthew 13? Parables. Parables. The great parables of the kingdom in Matthew 13. And the statement that Jesus makes, even though, because they were asking, well, why do you speak to them in parables? Well, to you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, verse 11. But to them it has not been granted. They are the brood of vipers serving the adversary. They are the religious leaders of their day, so caught up in the power of their own religion that they're not pursuing the kingdom of God. They're making disciples, but they're not disciples of Jesus Christ. They are twice as much sons of hell as they are, the disciples that they're making. And uh, this false religious system is just uh, tragic. But it's not unexpected, and it's not thwarting the plan of God. He says, in this case, prophecy is being fulfilled. And he quotes Isaiah there in between verses 14 and 15. And then he says in verse 16, Blessed are your eyes, happy are your eyes, because they see, and your ears, because they hear. Again, it goes back to what Jesus said. He said, O contrary, those who hear the word of the Lord and do it and keep it. The privilege we have to be in a lampstand where the word of God is taught. Goodness. And uh, in particular, as we pray for these churches across the country, and more and more of them are shutting down. Uh, Grace Chapel in Kirkland, Washington, has been without a pastor for years. And now they're diminished to almost nothing. I think Graham and Shirley Hutchison and three other families is all that's left. So, uh, lampstands still here, lights are on, doors open, heat's running. Say thank you, Father. The Word of God stays, stays being, uh, being taught. All right, rapid survey continues. Chapter 16, verse 17. Peter gets blessed for being the first pope. Oh, okay. No, not really. Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter said, You are the Christ, Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, Happy are you, Simon Barjona. Why? Everything we keep saying. He's hearing the Word of God. He's understanding it. He's making application. Because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Hearing the Word of God, identifying with it, understanding it, and putting it into practice. There's nothing greater. Absolutely nothing greater. See, for, in, for instance, we watch the news and, and we're not pulling our hair out or going panicky. Terrified about the economics, terrified about the politics, terrified about the, the military affairs or anything at all. Why not? It's more in the Word of God. We're learning, we're growing. We know He's in charge. And we can have this inner capacity of soul for personal happiness. Chapter 24, verse 46. Last reference here in Matthew. Who is the faithful, verse 45 says, Who then is the faithful and sensible slave whom his master put in charge of his household to give them their food at the proper time? 
Now recognize, of course, that this has an application in the tribulation, the stewardship of Israel. But we are a stewardship. We are in charge of a household currently. So let's draw our own application here. If we want to be a faithful and sensible slave. Remember, uh, we're free in Christ, but we're Christ's slave. And um, happy is the slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. If you're engaged in your priestly function, your ambassador function, and your soldier function of your priesthood, when the trumpet sounds, you're going to be happy about that. (laughs) But if you're carnal, out of fellowship, walking in darkness, uh, not only failing to function in those realms, but actually working on the other side in your priestly function, ambassador function, and soldier function, when the trumpet sounds, how happy are you going to be? (laughs) <laughs> right? In fact, First John 2 speaks of a shame. A shame. Shrinking away in shame. It is coming like, oh, not now. Oh, goodness. Can you imagine? And then in the twinkling of an eye, that's over because you're transformed. You're yanked up and, and uh, giving an answer for why you were carnal when he sounded the trumpet and came to snatch you up. Truly I say to you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. Remember, eternal consequences for temporal faithfulness. All eternity is being weighed in the temporal life that we are functioning here in time. All right, now when we get to Luke, um, a lot of this would be... Well, there were a lot of redundant passages in Mark, Luke, and John, but I tried to trim out the redundancy and get some unique applications. So in Luke 1... Again, we have happiness, and I wanted to include these because this is what uh, the Mariolatry that was in focus here in Luke 11, where whoever this woman was wanted to praise the happiness of Mary's womb and and, uh, breasts. Luke 1, in Elizabeth's song, she's pregnant, Mary's pregnant. you got a couple of pregnant women getting together and... No telling what's going to happen, right? (laughs) Well, in this case, they have a wonderful time of godly Christian fellowship. And their songs that they sing uh, are inspired by the Holy Spirit and recorded uh, some 30 years later by the, uh, or more than that, some gracious, some 50 years later by uh, Luke. And um, so when she comes in. Blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. How has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed, happy, is she who believed that there would be fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. Now, focus on that, because that puts Mary's blessings in perspective. Puts Mary's happiness in perspective. All right? She believed there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her. What does that mean? That means she's hearing the Word of God and she is making application. Just like Jesus said. On the contrary, He says, you know, it's not her womb, it's not her breast, it's not her body, it's her soul that has a capacity for happiness because as a disciple of the Word of God, she's walking by faith, making application for what she's learning. Happy are those who hear the ordinances of God, and do them. She heard the promises and proceeded on faith to go have a baby. 
And so uh, the happiness for Mary, it's not unique to her. Any believer can occupy in the word of God and go forth and make application. Down to verse 48 then. Mary said, verse 46, My soul exalts the Lord, my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. Why does she have a Savior? Because she is a sinner in need of a Savior. So, well, these Romans that think she was sinless and so forth, they can stick that in their pipe and smoke it. She was a sinner. She needed salvation. And she's celebrating that God is making that provision for her. For he has had regard for the humble state of his bondslave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me happy or blessed. Why? Because consistently with what Jesus said, happy are those who hear the word of the Lord and do it. Absolutely. You know, (laughs) do you think she knew she was going to be in the Bible someday? I do. I think she, I think I do. Absolutely. She already is. She's been in the Bible for 700 years before this. Because Isaiah said, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. So, She's been in the Bible ever since uh, Isaiah 7.14 got written. And the idea that all generations will count me happy uh, is with the capacity to understand that she has heard the word of the Lord and by faith she has gone forward in application. And Jesus said, happy are those who hear the, the the word of the Lord and do it. And that her story, her story in the Bible is going to be a positive one uh, to look back on with appreciation and, and, and recognition. Okay, Whereas, think of other women in the Bible, or men, or people in the Bible. Um, look at Lot's wife. <laughs> Will all generations look back to Lot's wife and call her happy? Absolutely not. And it's not because of her womb or her breasts or anything she did. It's because she failed to hear the word of the Lord and do it. That's the That's the... Explanation we're looking at here. All right. Rapid survey continues. Uh, chapter 11 is our chapter. Let's go to chapter 23 then. Chapter 23, 29. We can bypass the reference there to Luke 11, 27 and 28 because that's the very passage we're examining in uh, this uh, episode of the Life of Christ ministry. Now, this one's interesting. Uh, because this is the, another corollary when uh, they were all celebrating motherhood and the woman shouting, you know, blessed is the womb, blessed are the breasts, isn't motherhood great? Uh, the, Jesus is pointing out to them prophetically that in the dark times ahead in the great tribulation, uh, the joys and blessings of motherhood are actually a detriment given the, uh, the evil circumstances and uh, things going on. And so that's where we read about uh, blessed are the barren, happy are the barren, and the wombs that never bore, and the breasts that never nursed. It's, it's neat because it is precise vocabulary, terminology, the grammar and syntax almost clones that woman's uh, intended song in chapter 11, only the, it's negated with the nots and the nevers and uh, used to teach the principle. Used to teach the principle that when your nation is under maximum divine discipline, uh, when 
the laws of divine establishment are all being turned to disciplinary purposes, then uh, the things leading up to nationalism are going to be affected. When nationalism is under attack, remember volition, marriage, family, nationalism, the laws of divine establishment. So when nationalism is under divine discipline to the point of fifth cycle and, and destruction of a nation, what does that do for your family life? What does that do for your marriage? What does that even do for volition? When individuality is enslaved, taken off to captivity. All right, so that's Luke. Uh, over in Acts, Acts twenty thirty five. I love Acts 20. Acts 20.35. It's an expression we quote all the time. And we don't realize that it's makarios there. It is more makarios to give than to receive. It is more happy to give than to receive. And what's interesting here is Paul is teaching this. He says, remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said. Do you have a red letter Bible? Are those words red in your Bible? Um, not every publisher catches on to the fact that Jesus has words outside of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And in particular, this late in the book of Acts, after he ascends in chapter 1, did the Lord say this? When did the Lord say this? It is more blessed to give than to receive. When did he say that? Go ahead and search. Read read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John cover to cover. You're not going to find it. But this is a statement that he made, and he made it apparently repeatedly enough that many people were witnesses to it. Paul was a witness to it, and uh, it's preserved here for us in the canon of Scripture. It is more happy to give than to receive. So uh, think about that passage right there, and and, uh, 75% of all Americans you know, where, hey, it's all about the getting, right? And uh, you go through the holidays and you kids are comparing notes with each other. What did you get? What did you get? What did you get? I never see kids go to the playground or go to wherever and talk about what did you give? What did you give? What did you give? <laughs> hey, did you have a good Christmas? What did you give? I never hear the kids talking about that. Are you happy about giving? Are you happy about the, uh, the um, privilege that it is to be Christ-like and father-like to be able to be a giver in unconditional sacrificial integrity love. That's the uh, impact there in Acts 20.35. Acts 26.2. Another Makarios statement. He's happy to be on trial. (laughs) You know, isn't this great? I'm under arrest. I get to go to uh, jail. I get to stay on trial. So Paul stretched out his hand, proceeded to make his defense. In regard to all the things of which I'm accused by the Jews, I consider myself Makarios, fortunate, happy, King Agrippa, that I am about to make my defense for you before you today. And he goes on. A happiness there. Now think about it. The conditions Paul is under here and consider he's happy because he's even though he's under arrest, he's on trial, he's standing before a judge. It's an open-door opportunity for him to proclaim the gospel. Under what other circumstances would he be invited to have a face-to-face encounter with King Agrippa to present a gospel information to the king? Well, there he is. 
See, it's like that little slave girl in in Second Kings, and she had the opportunity to uh, have salt and light benefit and blessing and witness to Naaman the Syrian. Well, when else was that Syrian general going to receive the gospel? When else was he going to get divine viewpoint? There's a steward. Remember, Israel was the steward, a little girl, believer, steward, and she had the opportunity to say, you know what? Down in my country, where the true God rules, there are prophets and there's miracles, and you could be healed of that, of that leprosy. And she had to become a slave in order to accomplish that work of service. Under what other conditions would that Syrian general have had the gospel proclaimed to him? So, uh, let's not confuse conditions and circumstances of life with uh, happiness. Because the circumstances and details of life are simply the venue where God has placed you to accomplish the work. Hearing the word of God and doing the work, that's what's going to produce the happiness. The circumstances and details are rather irrelevant when it comes right down to it. So Paul's happy to be in jail, under arrest, and even better, he gets to go to Rome. He's making an appeal before Caesar. You wonder what other apostles had the opportunity to proclaim the gospel to Caesar. All right, so um, let's look at the chain of them there in Romans 4, because you got verse 6, 7, 8, and 9, all in Romans 4. Quoting from Psalm 32, we're told in verse 5, To the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly. His faith is credited as righteousness. And of course, we understand salvation by grace through faith. Faith is not a work. Even though Jesus called it a work in John 6, it is not a work. It is a non-meritorious activity which meets the um, expectations and requirements of salvation. So just as David also speaks of the blessings on the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works, the happiness of the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works, happy are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sins have been covered. Happy is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. This is the application from Psalm 32. But then he goes on beyond that in verse 9 to point out is this happiness then on the circumcised or on the uncircumcised the principle then being we can proclaim this to a lost and dying world whether Jew or Gentile uh, one body in Christ is now our uh, wonderful estate here in the body of Christ so there's the happiness application in Romans 4 you happy to be saved? (laughs) good you know because sometimes that's what you've got to boil it down to when you get a, a brother that's so down in the dumps and so discouraged and so low that he can't name one thing he's happy about, well, then stop him right there and say, well, are you happy you have eternal life? Okay, I guess. All right, just a little friendly rebuke and reminder where happiness is supposed to come from. Like Paul said, I'm determined to know nothing among you but Jesus Christ and Him crucified. How about Romans 14? Romans 14:22. This one has an immediate application because we um, deal with a lot of issues that uh, you, you can't put a verse to. You can't say, well, this verse says this, so this is what I'm going to do. Uh, instead, you are simply 
uh, remaining humble, seeking divine guidance, praying over uh, matters, and uh, desiring to make a faith application in different realms. And so it says, the faith which you have, have as your own conviction before God. And so you're looking for a conviction. And until that conviction comes, you're under consideration. Okay, Cliff and Terry know all about this. They're under consideration for uh, a ministry, a pulpit ministry that was offered uh, to Cliff in Sweeney, a Gulf Coast Bible church. And so they're considering that. But then there's a group, uh, a Bible class, home Bible class in uh, Smithville that's possibly going to become a church here. So they're considering that. And there's other considerations. Staying here at Austin Bible Church is a consideration where, as my assistant and partner, we can run this uh, training ministry and, and, uh, and uh, certainly crank out a lot, uh, uh, you know, uh, like an assembly line, crank out a lot more product in shorter time. See, the two of us together, that's the, that's an application out of Ecclesiastes of all places. If the two of us together are stronger than the, in any event. Um, so we're, we're considering. And while we're considering, we're praying. And while we're praying, we're studying. And all these things are coming together until such point when a conviction is realized. And then once you receive the conviction, this is what God wants me to do. You've done so on the basis of faith and you move forward in happiness. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. Because you've been humble before the Lord, you've sought his wisdom, you've accepted his guidance, you've asked him to overrule if, uh, if you're mistaken. Say, Father, I believe this is your guidance, I believe this is your will, this is the course I intend to take, I thank you for it. If I'm wrong about this, then overturn it, thwart it, over, don't allow me to get out of your will. But I'm proceeding forward on this basis, on this understanding. And if I'm wrong, then Father, you're going to have to show me. Because you're the omniscient, infinite, I'm the, I'm the uh, pathetic, ignorant human being, creature of time, just trying to figure something out. If I'm wrong, show me where I'm wrong, thwart what I'm doing. But I'm going to proceed forward on the basis of faith. And you want to know something? This is so cool. When you do this, that's why it says, happy is he who does not condemn himself. When you do this, you can relax. You can absolutely relax. What bugs me is things I do all the time, you do, everybody does, is the second-guessing deal. Looking back with hindsight and racking, oh my, did I make the right choice? Did I do the right thing? Oh, well, what if that was a mistake? Quit that. Just quit that. That's a tool the devil likes to do. Oh, you, you chose poorly. You did the wrong thing. Oh, you better go back and change that. Don't, don't kill yourself with regrets and guilt and whatever else. I mean, if you messed up, you messed up. Don't regret it because you asked the Father to keep you from doing it anyway. And since He didn't keep you from doing it, have some faith. Have some confidence. You did what you told Him you intended based on your faith conviction. And that's the neat thing. Maybe it was wrong. Your heart was right. David was wrong for trying to build a temple, but his heart was right. And then he had to be overruled and told, no, you can't do that. Your son's going to do that. Stop what you're doing. So his heart was right. He just didn't have all the information. That's fine. All right. So Romans 14, 22, there's happiness. He who does not condemn himself and what he approves. When you know you're in the will of God. And the neat thing is you come to those convictions prayerfully in study and everything else. You do divine guidance the right way. There's nothing better. Absolutely nothing better. 
And you have what else comes from that conviction is the is the the powerful assurance of being in his will. And you get to the point where we talk about um, assurance. Salvation is not the only realm where you receive assurance. And yes, we teach eternal security, assurance of salvation and so forth. But uh, I've, I've got just the same identical assurance of my spiritual gift that I have of my salvation. I have the, the same assurance of, of God's will for my life in my marriage, in my ministry, in the things that's, that are going on, without a doubt, without a shred of a doubt. And that's happiness. Absolute happiness. Hey, you know what? I'm where I'm supposed to be doing what I'm supposed to be doing. So, hey, whatever else happens, God's in charge of that. It doesn't really matter. If I'm where I'm supposed to be doing what I'm supposed to be doing, everything else is just details, really. He'll take care of those. And you know how what a source of makarios that is? And, and parents, the same thing towards your children? Like it says in 1 John, no greater joy than to see my children walking in the truth. You know what? They're where they're supposed to be. They're doing what they're supposed to be doing. There's a source of joy. If they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing, then there's a, a prayer trigger. <laughs> All right? But if they're where they're supposed to be, doing what they're supposed to be doing, you don't care if they're a successful brain surgeon or if they're a, a struggling you know, ditch digger. It doesn't really matter in their career and in their income or any of those things. None of that matters. If they're what they're supposed to be doing, where they're supposed to be, that's that's the real issue. Okay. Rapid survey. There are more slides after this slide. We just these are some fun verses. Titus two thirteen. Titus 2.13. You see, the breaks my heart. We're teaching rapture to the teenagers in our teen class. And uh, it just breaks my heart. The churches that have not only abandoned dispensations, but they've abandoned the rapture. And, and churches that used to teach rapture, not teaching it anymore. And without the rapture, where's your blessed hope? Where's your happy hope? Your Makarios hope? Looking for the Makarios opus, the happy hope, and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Daily, we're looking for that trumpet. Disappointed that we woke up this morning. Didn't hear the trumpet last night. All right. James. A couple of verses in chapter 1, a verse in chapter 5. James 1.12. And I also want you to see the... Um, well, there's a longer context for that. But James 1.12. Happy is a man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, that's the docimazo evaluation approval, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. And this is just as consistent with what Jesus said, hearing the word of the Lord and observing them. Because how do you think he persevered in a trial? He heard the word of the Lord and he observed it. That's right. And uh, he knows the crown of life is laid up. He's laid up treasure in heaven. How did he lay up treasure in heaven? By enduring his sufferings. By hearing the word of God and applying it. 
demonstrating his love for Jesus Christ. When you live the word of God, you demonstrate your love for Jesus Christ. When you don't live the word of God, you demonstrate your love for yourself. And that's just plain and simple. Say, well, I love me. I'm going to do what I want to do. Or I love Jesus Christ and I want to apply the word of God to his glory for his good pleasure. So there's the happiness there, persevering under trial. Uh, Same chapter, verse 25. One who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it. How about that? Here's somebody who observes the word and keeps it. Looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it. Not having become a forgetful doer, but an effectual, a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be happy in what he does. See, James finally caught on. James was an unbeliever when his brother was first teaching this stuff in Luke 11. But he got saved after the resurrection, got grounded in the Word of God, was called as an apostle, became head of the church in Jerusalem, wrote this book, teaching the same doctrine Jesus was teaching, keep, uh, observe the Word of God, keep it. Hear the word of God and keep it. Chapter 5 and verse 11. We count those happy who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job. You have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealing. And the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. Why was Job happy? Why was Job? How did Job endure? He knew the word of God and he applied it. Even when his wife was telling him to curse God and die. He was going to stand fast to his integrity of the word of God that he understood. All right, that gets us down through James. You got First Peter, Revelation. First Peter three fourteen. There actually is a lot of teaching in First Peter chapter three. We tend to fixate maybe on the first seven verses, but there's uh, things beyond that. First Peter three fourteen. I like verse 13, who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? <laughs> you know, you can't get hurt in Bible class. Not in the bad way. <laughs> it might hurt in the good way, but um, proving zealous for what is good, dedicating yourself to the Lord. There's no such thing as too much. You know, your kids can have too much chocolate, too much soda, too much whatever, too much uh video games or whatever, right? You can't have too much Bible class. You can't have too much walking in the light. But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are happy. And do not fear their intimidation. Do not be troubled. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. This isn't lordship salvation order to get saved. This is the experiential sanctification to maintain your inner happiness in the face of all external testing knowing that it's going to open up an opportunity for testimony in uh, to this lost and dying world. Chapter 4 and verse 14. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are happy because the spirit of the glory and of God rests on you. At that moment of persecution, the Holy Spirit is resting upon you in a, in a unique and special way. You know, we talk about dying grace a lot where grace envelops you in, the, in that moment. Same thing here under persecution. The, the grace envelops you at that moment. And you're being empowered to endure that persecution for his testimony, for his glory. And then all these references in Revelation 1, 3, 14, 13, 
16, 15, 19, 9, 20, verse 6, 22, verse 7, 22, verse 14. Double check that. It might be 21, 7. And then 22, 14. Normally, if they were both in chapter 22, I would have combined them. All right, Revelation 1, 3. We get through these in three minutes. Happy is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it. Hearing and doing. Hearing the word of God and observing them. Same thing Jesus taught in Luke 11. Here's John repeating it. 62 years later. Can you remember a Bible class you had 62 years ago? Well, John was under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit here when he. All right. So happy is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. You know, it's remarkable. I know so many believers that ignore Revelation. They act like, well, you can't understand it anyway. It's complicated. It, you know, they want to stay away from it, and they avoid it. When out of all 66 books of the Bible, this is the only one that tells you you're happy if you read it. <laughs> this is the only one that... Now, you're happy. You can read all of them. You know, don't get me wrong. There's blessings in all 66 books. But this is one that actually tells you that you're happy for reading and hearing and heeding these particular warnings. 14.13. Revelation 14. Now we're thick in the middle of tribulation. I heard a voice from heaven saying, right, happier the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the spirit, so they may rest from their labors for their deeds follow with them. Happy are the dead who die in the Lord. Hmm. 16:15. Behold, I'm coming like a thief. Happy is the one who stays awake and keeps his clothes so that he will not walk about naked and men will not see his shame. That's like the faithful and merciful slave that's found so doing when the Lord returns. Happy is he who is found so doing. You don't want to be caught with your pants down when the Lord returns. Chapter 19 and verse 9. He said to me, Happy are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb said to me, these are the true words of God. Happy are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Are you invited? No, you're not. You're the bride. You're giving out the invitations. You're not receiving the invitations. Bugs me to death when people talk about getting their invitation to this. We're issuing the invitations. Bride is not a guest at her own wedding feast. She issues the invitations. Understand the uh, Gentile and Jewish context for those that are invited. 20 and verse 6. Happy and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power. And finally, I guess it is 22.7. Behold, I am coming quickly. Happy is he who heeds the words of the prophecy of this book. Again, read it, observe it. Happiness is promised again and again and again. Happy are those who wash their robes, verse 14, so that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter by the gates into the city.
All right. Well, now those are all our happiness passages. We'll come back next week for our blessing passages. And if the Lord delays long enough, hopefully, now this is just a rapid survey. This gives you a, an impression, hopefully a pretty thorough impression. But we didn't take all these. If we were going to systematize this, then we would go back to all these passages and do what? Structure them, outline them, put them in a, in a given sequence, put them in a framework whereby we can classify different aspects of happiness. We didn't do any of that. We just gave you a rapid survey of the passages so that you get the overall sense and impression. And you'll note that none of them had anything to do with sports teams, political elections, uh, income, bank balances, or any of that. It has to do with our observance of the Word of God on a daily basis. So, Father, we thank you for the teaching on this day. Thank you for the reminder of where happiness comes from. And I pray, Father, that we might uh, be reflections of that truth as we abide in your word, as we make application daily, and as we stand in, this, uh, in the midst of this crooked and perverse generation as children of light. And I pray, Father, that we might do so faithfully for the glory of your Son. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.